that the SAT and the AP exams are owned by a corporation. If you aren't American, you might not even know what those things are. The SAT stands for Scholastic Assessment Test. It's a standardized test that pretty much all kids who want to go to college or university after high school need to take to assess their abilities. Some go-getters opt to take the AP exams as well. AP stands for Advanced Placement, and some schools get excited to see high scores on those tests. Having taken the test long, long ago, I can definitively tell you that it completely sucked, and it was very long. I can't think of an example of anything like it in the real world. Perhaps the bar exam is comparable. I have no idea, and I never will. But I struggle to come up with anything that compares to it in real life. It's just long and tedious and focused on a specific set of skills for specific types of students. SAT is not optional in most cases, and it is not free. Millions of dollars are spent every year preparing for these tests, and many hours are spent in classrooms teaching students how to take them. I did a quick search to find out how people were thinking about this, and as you can imagine, there are plenty of articles, most of which I did not read. Honestly, I have no intention of launching a research project, but I was interested to know a little bit about the story. The main criticism of the SAT seems to indicate across the board that kids from wealthier families do better than kids from poor families. I'd also like to add that a single company having a monopoly on the test that gets all kids into school is very problematic. And that brings me to one of the articles I read in defense of the SAT. It was in Forbes magazine. I'm guessing that you don't read Forbes. If you do, good for you. In case you don't know, Forbes is a magazine about business and corporate culture. They write articles about all things financial. The title of the article that I read is Six Arguments Against the SAT and Why They Don't Hold Up. In the article, they mention a documentary called The Test and the Art of Thinking. I haven't watched it because I'm pretty sure it's not available in Europe, but I'd like to. The article addresses specific things that they talk about in that documentary, and they eloquently present studies and papers that corroborate their viewpoint. Don't get me wrong, I'm certain that there is value in this test. But in their rebuttal to the anti-SAT film, they assert that, and this is a quote, high scores on those tests are highly correlated with general cultural knowledge, unquote. Isn't that the problem? Whose culture are we talking about? The culture of Forbes readers? They also say that there's quite a bit of data showing that SAT scores help predict college GPA and retention and graduation rates. I can see how that would be true, but it certainly doesn't indicate that they are taking cultural diversity, economic diversity, neurodiversity, and fill-in-the-blank diversity into consideration. I don't think that they intended to insinuate that people with lots of money are more intelligent, but doesn't it sound like they are oblivious to everything outside of their own experience? Doesn't it sound like they're saying the test proves that people like us are smarter and more likely to succeed? Doesn't it sound like they're saying, if you want to play the game that we invented and are completely in control of, you need to see everything the way we do? I mean, that's a fair point if the game doesn't mean anything. If the game is an important factor in what the majority of people consider success to be, then I think that's a problem. At the very least, it's worth discussing. It seems to me that the test exists for profit and to keep the student body homogenous, for the most part. And that makes it easier for schools to maintain the status quo. It also keeps the pockets of the gatekeepers lined for eternity. This is a good time to tell you that you are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, 
and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I am the host. Today's guest is Michael Sweetek. Michael is a high school English teacher, beloved by students and valued by his peers, some of whom were former students of his. That's pretty cool, right? If you were here right now, he'd probably get all modest and try to downplay his status, but I must assert that it is true. The kids love him, and he loves his work. It sounds like the parents love him, too. We talk about job satisfaction and school life during COVID. He also shares his observations about the state of the student psyche in the days of COVID, and much, much more. Side note, I often try to find old pictures of guests so I can use them for promotional purposes on social media. Michael will be pleased to know that the photographs that I took of him wearing the Pearson Panther mascot uniform that his mom made in 1988 are at my parents' house in Connecticut, so I will not be posting them. That said, I encourage you to imagine a fuzzy little magenta wildcat running around with lots of school spirit. It was glorious. Now that that's out of the way, thank you for tuning in. Please settle into whatever you are doing. This is my conversation with Michael Sweetek. Or perhaps you know him as Mr. Sweetek. Why don't you uh, tell me who you are and what do you do? Okay, uh, my name is Michael Sweetek, and I am a high school English teacher. Did you always want to be a high school English teacher? I, I, I mean, I've known you since before high school. Yes, and I have no recollection of what your hopes and dreams were. You know, I did not always want to be a teacher. I thought I wanted to be a writer, a novelist, talking to actually some of our high school English teachers and ultimately our guidance counselor, who I don't recall at all. Mr. Martino, was that his name? I think you're correct. Yeah. All right. There was a very practical idea floated to me by Mr. Trout and Mr. Cangelosi, my junior and senior year English teachers, respectively, that you could have a stable career with things like health benefits as a teacher and still pursue writing in your free time. So, you know, that was the template. I'm going to I'm going to follow this advice. And when I break out as the next great American novelist, then I can I can leave teaching behind and swim in cash like Scrooge McDuck as, as a writer. Yeah, that happens to most writers. Yes. So 21 years later, still teaching with zero books published. I am recognizing that two high school teachers and guidance counselors gave me some wonderful advice <laughs> uh, <laughs> as I have a stable income and I'm married to a first grade teacher and it was not the dream, but it, it really has turned out to be the best decision I could have made. And why do you say that? I just really fully enjoy work. I feel like one of the few people I know outside of my friends who are teachers, I feel like one of the few people I know who honestly looks forward to going to work. And, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy my free time with my family or my friends or doing nothing, but I genuinely look forward to going to work and engaging with teenagers, which that concept scares a lot of people who are not in education, but I, I just feel very lucky to do what I do. That's basically the reason that I asked you to be on because we haven't talked for a million years, not quite a million, but it's it's been a while. And the, the impression that I get just scanning through social media is that you really do 
enjoy your job. And, and also, you seem to be appreciated. I noticed that you have interactions with a lot of former students. And not that winning awards is, it, it can mean something, but it doesn't always mean something. But didn't you win some kind of a teaching award or something? I was named Teacher of the Year for my high school in the 2019-2020 school year. Congratulations. I, oh, I appreciate that. It was really nice to be recognized. That is a decision made by the administrators in the building. So the department heads from the different disciplines, the vice principals, we have multiple vice principals because we are a bigger school. Ultimately, the building principal, they put some names out and discuss who and why the title is deserved. And, you know, that year it fell to me and I was very happy almost immediately. You know, my friends were mocking me if I stumbled over a word. They're rolling their eyes. Oh, teacher of the year over here. But that's not what teaching's about, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it was nice to be recognized. But the truth of the matter is, and you said this earlier, uh, I have a lot of interaction with former students. And that to me has always been the real recognition in what I do. I have a lot, really, now that we're talking about it. I have a lot of uh, former students who have become educators. Oh, nice. And I, I won't ever <laughs> say that's due to me, but I do know, you know, So I work with some of them, even in my department, and they said, you know, yeah, I took a page out of your book, or I remembered when we did this in class and how much I enjoyed it. So that's always been the real award to me. It was nice to be recognized, certainly it was, but working with kids who care enough to turn around and actually say something to you is pretty mind-blowing to me. For all I know, the award just gets passed to every teacher every other year. But the proof is in the pudding. I feel like if you do make an impact on these people, and that's a kind of the goal of being a teacher, right? I, I understand that there's a lot of preparing for standardized tests and what have you. But if you actually get someone fired up about whatever it is you're teaching, English in this case, or even just teaching itself, just influencing people, your success because of that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, being a teacher has made me reflect on the person I was as a student. And I think that that has given me a great deal of patience because I was not by any stretch of the imagination a model student. What? Um, yeah. Um, I, I think back to the knucklehead things I did and paying attention or, or trying to be the class clown. And I think that has given me, and I'm glad my family is not in the room as, as we discuss this, it's given me a lot of patience to, uh, <laughs> to understand. We know what the end goal should be for the daily lesson or the week's lessons or ultimately the semester, but we can't expect kids to 100% be on board 100% of the time. And, and thinking back to how I was as a student, I, I accepted that even my most studious student is not going to be 100% of the time on task. So how about 30% of the time? <laughs> I hope for more than that, but <laughs> you know, every child is, is unique. So basically you're saying that you rule the classroom with fear of retribution <laughs> and you tell them that they're all going to be failures in life if they don't listen to every word you say. That uh, verbatim is my day one 
It's very nice to meet you, Mr. Sweetak. Well, guess what? No, it's not. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So how are the kids doing? Well. Like all the kids, I mean. Collectively, the kids. The kids. So here is, uh, and I'm I'm sure nobody ever wants to hear (laughs) about the COVID crisis again, but. Well, kind. I mean, that's kind of what I'm asking. I mean, the general sense, the. Uh, that's part of it. I mean, yes, in general, but also like, are they freaking out? Are you freaking out? Are your coworkers freaking out? Like who's freaking out? Cause I'm kind of freaking out just from life. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to go back to when we first heard about this, you and I from elementary school through high school, we, we were classmates as a high school student. I never once thought about the idea that someone planned things like the graduation ceremony yeah. or the prom. I kn- it just, I knew that Mrs. Barber was our senior class advisor, but I never knew what that really meant. It meant that she was annoying. Well, <laughs> I didn't say that. And she always ragged on people to bring in dues so they could go to the prom and then said, you can't go to the prom if you don't pay your dues. Well, funnily enough, she was right, because I am now a senior class advisor, and I plan things like graduation, and, and for the first time this year, I'm, I'm the prom co-advisor. Wow. And yeah, and a lot of planning and time goes into that. COVID prom, is that the theme? We're trying to avoid that as a potential theme. You know, we first heard about today, we're recording this March 1st. I hope it's okay that I'm saying that. It's totally fine. (laughs) Okay. We first heard of this issue that there was this virus the week of March 13th in 2020. This time of year, and this is a surprise to a lot of people, the prom and graduation are, are huge factors in the minds of school administrators and people like me who help to plan events like the graduation ceremony. And at the time, my very dear friend and my work wife, who was the prom advisor, those were the topics we were talking about. And students elect their senior class officers. And I meet with those kids every day. And our meetings were, you know, did we sell enough t-shirts? Did we raise enough from our dodgeball tournament for prom and the senior barbecue? That week of March 13th in 2020, one of my officers said, hey, have you heard about this thing on the news? And then on Friday, March 13th, in the middle of our senior class officer meeting, my principal knocked on the library door and asked me to step out in the hallway and told me we were going to have a half-day session and everybody was going home for two weeks. And then two weeks spiraled into two years. So your original question was, <laughs> how are the kids How doing? are the kids? <laughs> The answer is, it depends. Uh, Some of them are very much looking forward to March 7th because our state's mask mandate in school will expire Uh. and they have the freedom to choose whether or not they're going to wear a mask in school. Uh, Right now, everyone, teachers, students, everybody is masked up in the state of New Jersey. 100% of the time? 100% of the time, minus lunches. Okay. We have a little bit of, you know, there's some leeway with phys ed classes 
students can take a break. Students can, with teacher monitoring, step outside for some fresh air because they're exerting themselves. Obviously, in a class like band and choir, it is sometimes necessary to not be masked. Yeah, it's that's that they basically call those classes uh, aerosol festival. (laughs) Breathe my aerosols 101. Yes, but only during these designated times is that safe. (laughs) It's perfectly safe. Yeah. So we've adapted rather quickly that that first weekend that we were sent home. We reinvented the wheel. Yeah. And then we had some time to learn and perfect it. And then this year, when we were able to come back at full capacity, still masked for a time, we had a hybrid school day. So I had students in person in my room, distance six feet. And then I had students whose family, for whatever reason, wanted them to remain home. So they were learning via Google Classroom in in a live session with mask mandates coming to an end. It's sort of a, everybody's going to have this this pregnant pause on March 7th and actually the weeks after to see what, if any, fallout there's going to be. But the kids are, some of them can't wait to take their masks off. Others have voice to me. They're going to keep theirs on until they're sure that there's not going to be any sort of wave to speak of. You know, some teachers feel the same. They can't wait to take the mask off. Others are going to keep it on because some of my colleagues and friends are saying, well, I haven't had a cold in two years and I haven't had the flu in two years. So maybe this is something I just live with now. I can understand that because I actually just got it. I had it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, everybody in the house did. My my lady got kind of sick for two days. She was in bed. But for me, it was almost nothing. I feel like when people get it and they're like me and they have, the, you know, the symptoms of getting the shot, the booster shot were worse than the actual, than the actual thing. So I, I can understand how, you know, a naysayer might say, well, they're not, I survived. It's fine. It's not a big deal. And kind of discount the fact that you could still spread it to somebody who it might kill. Right. Is a, yeah, it's tough, man. Um, and, and, you know, we, sh- I, I'm saying we, uh, my we, family, we, the collective, we, <laughs> yes, the Royal, we, <laughs> my family, my immediate family is my wife who teaches first grade, as I said, and my son who is 16, we, for the majority of this time, we isolated ourselves and would only agree even to see family in outdoor settings, which of course made the holidays rough. Christmas dinner outside in New Jersey. Yes, it was. uh, We were planning on fully, my wife and son fully vaccinated, I'm fully vaccinated. We were planning on Christmas at my sister's house and my son woke up Christmas morning with what turned out to be his regular allergies. Yeah. Um, But we chalked up to we can't go because it could be covid right Uh, we keep saying okay we're going to test the waters so uh this past october my son really wanted to see a horror movie in the movie theaters we hadn't done anything public like that you know we said okay so this is us dipping our toe in let's let's go he did the typical popcorn and soda thing only had his mask off to to eat his popcorn and ended up missing two and almost three days of school because he got a cold for the first time in two years. Yes, just a cold, thankfully, 
that then made us a little gun shy to say, okay, well, we're going to do this again. And we've incrementally tried to do different social things. I took my son to a concert this weekend. He and I were masked and the rules of the venue were you have to be masked unless you're actively eating or drinking. Well, everybody then decided that holding a beer for a three hour concert was actively drinking so that they didn't need their masks. And, um, everyone finds a loophole. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's happening more and more and, and cases are going down and we're, we're told time and again, that schools are the safest places for kids. So we're hoping that that holds true. You know, the kids who can't wait to unmask, they're going to be delighted. Uh, as are the teachers and the kids who are a little hesitant are, you know, hopeful that it, everything goes the way that everyone's hoping it goes <laughs> and that everyone can remain healthy. Or healthy enough. I, I know that it seems like here the, the preventative measures seem to be more about ensuring that the numbers in the hospitals stay low. It's not necessarily about preventing people from getting sick, or at least that's how it feels to me. They're just like, oh, no, no, you can take the mask off now. It's totally cool. Like, what do you mean? Like yesterday it wasn't cool. (laughs) And now you're saying it's totally cool because a hundred fewer people are in the hospital. So then what, like in two weeks after everybody runs buck wild without a mask and goes out to the cafe, then then we're going to be like, no, 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 mask back on, back on, masks back on. No, you can't go to the movies anymore. You can't go anywhere. It's just yeah. this constant back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's 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 a uh, it's very tiresome, and I yeah, it's just very it's fatiguing and tiresome. And 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 you know we've heard. Uh, I'm again. I'm saying, Lee. I apologize. Uh, teachers, <laughs> teachers <laughs> have heard, and really anybody listening to the local news uh, in New Jersey has heard. Yes, we are going to unmask, but we we're going to reserve the right to mask back up but the general sense that i got at the concert saturday night and i get from people at the grocery store and and restaurants that i'm picking food up to eat at home once the masks come off <laughs> they're considering that to be the end yeah yeah right covid's over so, yeah so if our governor in september says you know what coming back to school uh, we're going to be fully masked i could only imagine the blowback. People would absolutely lose their minds. I, I feel like it's lip service to say, well, we reserve the right to do this because the voters have spoken and, and they they want their kids, for the most part, parents want their kids in school. Um right. yeah. and, and it's they... not a selfish it's not a selfish decision <laughs> at all. <laughs> I, I'm choosing my words very carefully. You have to, because you're you're the prom coordinator. Yes. Yeah. You know, parents want their kids in school. And of course, that's as a teacher, that's what I want. We also want to ensure that everyone can be safe. And as you said, hopefully everyone <laughs> does remain safe. And this is not just, we need to keep these beds open. And I think for a lot of people, the choice is the happy medium. We're hopeful and and bringing it back to prom. We've told the seniors on the prom committee, we've told them all year, we are planning prom with masks. And if the decision is made that you don't have to wear masks, then that's a great thing for you. And if the decision is made that you do have to wear masks, well, that's what we are planning on anyway. So that's where we're at with things like that. But the students are holding up, you know, like, do you notice that they're depressed or are they worn out? How are their spirits? You know, I think that uh, this is just my 
perception, there is a real deep breath being taken at this moment. We've been in school this year, but actually we have a monthly department meeting and in January's meeting, someone shared a chart that basically said, if you teach 10th grade, which I do this semester, if you teach 10th grade, their last normal school year was their seventh grade year. Oh, man. Uh, these kids, even our seniors getting ready to graduate, their last normal year was freshman year. So the social aspect is taking time to redevelop in them. And, and that's not to say the kids are moping around in the hallway. It is to say they're not used to things like a normal classroom conversation. <laughs> it sounds strange to say, but in some classes, it's, it's really hard. Their high school experience has been being able to go on mute and not be called on because they're at home. And now in the classroom, trying to engage them in, in some more discussion, they're only getting used to it. Now, my school, we have block scheduling. So that means 90-minute classes. And that means, for the most part, you only have these kids for a semester. My students who I said goodbye to at the end of January, I will say, as we got into December and January, we finally got into this, you know, if you took away the masks, I would say, wow, this is pretty normal. And then I started again with new students the first week of February. And we're back to that idea that we're, we're, we're going to be spoken to as we sit here, not we're going to engage and, and be active in our learning. A lot of teachers are, are really trying to, to get that spirit back where it is a give and take. And it's not, I'm not lecturing. I can't imagine lecturing for 90 minutes, but you know, a couple of years ago, a, a pause in the discussion is another opportunity for your classmate to share their thoughts. Now a pause in the discussion is, is oftentimes just filled with, with silence and it's deafening silence. Yeah. And, and slowly, I think everybody is getting back to what the dynamic should be, but it is definitely something that we we're fighting. It sounds like a really strange dynamic for an English class. It is. You know, this year in my fall semester, we were reading Lord of the Flies. And one of my students said, can I share my thoughts on this? And I said, please, I, <laughs> of course I, you can. <laughs> I, I, I tried not to be too excited. <laughs> and I tried, tried to play anybody cool. say anything? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, was, I said, please, I'd love to hear what you think. And, and this is, you know, something that has happened in my most active classes where this, you know, this student just kind of spun this hypothetical theory that he had about these characters and kids across the room were saying, wow, I really see that. What if this happened? Yes. And what if this happened? And, and it was such a, a great moment. And it's a, that would be a great moment in any year, but especially this year when even the most vocal kids have been withdrawn a little bit, mm -hmm. that's one of those things where as a teacher, I was so relieved a couple of years ago to hear our superintendent say, if you can say it was a positive lesson, it doesn't matter whether or not it was in the curriculum guide, then that is a great lesson. And I was so happy to hear that because there was no part of me that wanted to say, okay, well, we need to get back to reading. I, I just let these young minds kind of spin this theory into an imagined reality. And it was, it was awesome. I, I didn't feel as though I needed to stop them. And, and frankly, even if I had the inclination to direct them back to the book, I would not have because 
it was just too good to hear them spitball these ideas and not be so rigidly structured. That was a blessed relief, and I'm hoping I get more days like that. Speaking of rigid structure, I'm starting to look at schools for my kids. It's obviously different here than it is there, but there are some common threads, and one of them is preparing for standardized tests. So you're talking about these spontaneous, magical uh, Robin Williams moments that happen out on the floor. And it's cool that your principal or vice principal or whatever said that, that they were in support of that. But I'm just wondering, like, how much pressure is there to stay on book? We got to get these numbers up because if the numbers aren't up, then people are going to be unhappy and parents are going to freak out. And this is going to happen and that's going to happen and everyone's going to fail and go work at McDonald's. <laughs> Well, I'm going to sound so much like a middle child right now. There is a healthy balance of do what is a positive lesson versus you need to address these skills. Now, being perfectly honest with you, I teach sophomore English. So it's a general English course where we read world literature and we do some different modes of writing. But for... I want to say the past eight years, I've taught an SAT prep course and there's <laughs> nothing but test prep. That's part of the curriculum. Yeah, it, it's it's an English elective. Oh, okay. um, students in their junior year is the quote unquote make or break year for kids applying to college. So for those kids who are unfortunately under a tremendous amount of pressure from parents, family, maybe society. some of their teachers, society. Yeah. Unfortunately, let's add a little more pressure by making sure take and pass with flying colors, the SAT. I had a disastrous first year of teaching and left that school behind. The school I teach at now, I've been at for 20 years. When I first arrived at the school I'm at now, I got to teach classes like creative writing and journalism and they were so popular that we added next courses so journalism too was oh, nice. born and creative writing too was born and someone in an office somewhere said who's the guy who teaches creative writing and is playing music in class and let's get him to teach sat <laughs> uh, so i was approached by one of my many supervisors and they said hey we'd really like you to teach our sat prep course and it seemed really foreign to me but i ended up absolutely loving it it's the exact opposite of what i was used to teaching you know there are finite rules for grammar and this is a standardized test so everything's timed and how do we budget our time? But up until this year, I've taught that class, I think for the past eight. And then uh, for the past three years, I've been teaching AP language, which again, not shockingly, after I started being trained for the course, I realized that the same company <laughs> owns AP and the SAT. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So there is big corporate money in high pressure testing. How do I have spontaneous moments? In my sophomore classes, it's easy to allow them to grow. In these test prep classes, it's beautiful to have them. But then, yeah, let's get back to writing this timed essay. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of emphasis on um, standardized tests. I'm going to say probably 10 or so years ago, maybe longer, there was such a focus on test results. There's not anymore? It's lessened by quite a bit. For the students, 
things like the SAT and AP scores are definitely important. For a district, seeing how our juniors, very timely discussion we're having because high schools across New Jersey will be having a standardized test as a graduation requirement. So yeah, that is important on a district level. We can say 70% of our juniors have passed this graduation requirement. So as long as they satisfy the coursework, they're going to graduate. So yeah, the numbers are still important, but there's definitely less of a mentality of teaching to a test. That idea has, at least where I work and in you know the surrounding area, speaking to teachers from other districts, has fallen to the wayside. Can we incorporate testing skills into our classrooms and lessons? Absolutely. And right. there's, I, I think that's the mindset that most educators have. Given such a focus, uh, like I said, a decade ago, there were some local scandals of how do we improve student test scores? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The easy answer is cheat. You know? <laughs> that is um, so we way to do it. <laughs> fortunately, the mindset has gotten away from that. Do the numbers still matter at a district level? Sure. We're talking superintendent, assistant superintendent, and district supervisors. Definitely, they're scrutinizing those numbers. You know, for building administrators and classroom teachers, that is definitely less impactful. But, you know, at the same time, when my kids come back to me and, and tell me that they did really well on the SAT or that they passed their AP Lang exam, you know, I'm excited for them. And those classes, you have no choice but to teach to the test. That's literally what they're there for. So I think it's more of an, as you said, it's a societal expectation for this kid to go to this school yeah, it really with this is. score, you know? I guess I'm stupid for not realizing this before, but or naive at the very least. You said the AP test and the SAT test are owned by the same company. It didn't even occur to me that it was owned by a company. How does it that seems, work? <laughs> it seems like it shouldn't be, right? No, it really shouldn't be. And and also, the best way to make the scores go up is to make the test shorter. I feel like they use the same strategy that I use when I'm playing chess. I just take a really long time to make my decision, and I bore the crap out of my opponent, <laughs> and then they just give up. I I will say, you are not wrong. I use an example of a scientific article for both my SAT class and my AP student. And they talk about the habits of crepuscular animals. <laughs> so we read that and it's it's a good little mini lesson. I read the first couple lines and nobody says a word. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so everybody understands what we're reading. They say, sure. And I'm like, can someone please define crepuscular for me? And then... Yeah, the nervous, not making eye contact starts. And I said, okay, so this is a good lesson. We don't know what that word means. Let's attack that so we don't read an entire article not knowing. But at the end of the article, I tell my students every semester that I teach these courses, I said, this is not only a test of your knowledge, this is also an endurance test. And exactly what you said, they are so long. I teach the English portion of the SAT. And I have a, a wonderful colleague who teaches the math portion. I teach AP language, and my dear friend teaches AP literature. Another friend teaches AP US history, A push, as they call it. And I see my kids coming into class, and I assigned them a piece of reading. And 
one of my students just audibly groaned. And I said, what's up? And she said, nobody wants to say anything, Mr. Sweetak, but our AP history teacher just assigned us, you know, a novel to read over spring break or not spring break. It was, it was winter break. And so I'm, I'm glad that the kids can be honest with me and tell me like we're way overloaded, but yeah, the, the AP courses and ultimately the AP exam, you know, they say they're designed to be like college courses, <laughs> but I have to remind myself, I have to remind my kids too. You're still in high school. They're supposed to be reflective of college courses, but you are still in high school. We, we need to take a step back and take a breath. So yeah, the rigor of the test is, is honestly bothersome. Even more bothersome potentially is the fact that the same corporation owns these high stakes exams. Well, I think both of those things are problems, but um, I'm just wondering if it has, if it ties in to who the tests are designed for. It's like designed to make certain people not excel. Yeah. You know, that's, that's always a, I shouldn't say always, that is more recently that has become something that's been scrutinized more. It should be. Agreed. One of the assignments that my AP students do is to study this college scandal where Hollywood A-listers, their kids were joining really prestigious schools with basically faked resumes. Right, they, right. And my students looked at who does that really affect? And it's displacing a lot of kids from communities that are not always recognized or served. I was happy to see it cause a lot of anger in my very middle-class students. Yeah, I think that's good. It's important. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I do agree. You know, these tests, they're too rigid and set in their ways. You could take an AP test from 15 years ago and see the changes, but the content and the the rigor, just the length of time is is the same. Yeah, I'm not ex expecting you to uh, have the answers to fix the uh, the testing system, but <laughs> I just want to talk about this with with a teacher. I think that that you have a hard job. I, you know, I don't want to say you're a good teacher, like insinuating that your colleagues are bad teachers, but you know there 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 are bad teachers out there. Some some people just become teachers because they like the idea of having summers off. I'm sure that it's the first choice for some people, but like you said, you wanted to be a writer. But even if you go in to teaching as a secondary choice or, you know, a way to get health insurance, I think the important part is uh, taking it seriously. Yeah, you got to work within the system, but uh, I, I, I don't know. It seems like you're doing a pretty good job. Are you happy? I, I'm very happy. Yeah, I guess you made that clear before. I, I If I could share potentially one of the most embarrassing stories of my life. By all um, means. I tell my students I have this this very strange theory about I can I can only be so happy and then God or the universe or whatever you believe in has to bring me back down to my self-hating levels. You know, something really nice happens, like being named teacher of the year, then then the universe is gonna balance me out so I don't feel too good about myself. So one of the nicest things as a teacher that has ever happened to me was there's a Dunkin' Donuts pretty close to my school. And on my professional period, I, I I just needed to not be in the building. I needed to go get some coffee. I was very frustrated for whatever reason. And I think it really speaks to how much I love my job that I don't even remember why I was frustrated. But I walked out of the building and I got a coffee and I'm walking across the parking lot. This woman's passing me and she's, excuse me. So I stopped, say yes. And she's like, are you Mr. Sweetak? I said, I am. 
And she's like, I just wanted to tell you. And she named her daughter. I said, oh, of course I remember her. And she's like, well, she was visiting this weekend. And we just had this really nice conversation where she is saying how much you inspired her. And she didn't go on to be a teacher, but in her chosen profession, she still found that I had inspired her. I tell my students really for the punchline of the story, but I tell them, you know, this woman could have walked past me and told her daughter later, I think I saw him. But instead, she stopped to make my day better. She went out of her way to make me feel important. And, and I thought that was such a beautiful gesture. And I hold on to that. And now here's the unfortunate part of the story. I was feeling so good about her stopping me. I got into my car and in the passenger seat was a young woman that I did not recognize. Okay. <laughs> she turned to me. And this, this look of horror started dawning on her face. And I realized I got in the completely wrong car <laughs> because, because I felt good about myself. <laughs> um, I got in a vehicle that wasn't even, it didn't even look like my car. Um, Dude, get it together. So, yeah. <laughs> so I said, this story could potentially have ended with the headline local teacher arrested. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't even close to my, I, like, I honestly don't know what happened. I got into a black Subaru Forester. And at the time I was driving a gray Honda Civic completely different. And I was really, I was a few rows away from my car. So I, I sprinted with hot coffee in my hand, sprinted in my Honda Civic and drove back to my school uh, very quickly. But uh, aside from, this young woman now having a terrible fear of strangers with coffee. I, I always say, you know, that first part of that story is, is one of my favorite things that's ever happened to me as a teacher, that someone would go out of their way to tell you that what you do is important. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And like I said, you know, when, when kids will actually vocalize a thank you, when a kid will tell you that they appreciate, and it's not always the classroom stuff, a lot of times it's it's after prom or after the senior barbecue and they recognize like, wow, this this took some putting together. You know, the, those are those are awesome days. Sure. They trust and appreciate you. Yeah. And, you know, 90 percent, 99 percent of the kids aren't going to say anything, but uh, <laughs> it's the one or two who take a moment. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I can see how it would be. Uh, it seems like. um you know, the, the inspirational tale of the, the wrong car in the parking lot is a good place to end, but that's not what I'm about. You're an English teacher. Emojis, yay or nay? Yay for personal communication. Never on an assignment. Never. I have given extra credit assignments to create memes from the literature we're covering, but uh, never on a serious assignment. Okay. And do you, do you find that uh, that's something that needs to be enforced or, or do they just not put it on the important documents? This year, I have found that text speak prevents students from capitalizing I. Okay. So, yeah. So I just actually recently returned their personal narratives. I, I said I can't keep correcting on i just had to announce to my classes you have to capitalize i there you go you're you're important enough to give yourself <laughs> a capital letter you know oh text speak it has wormed its way into actual assignments emojis i have yet to actually receive on a serious assignment i can see how text speak or maybe even an emoji could 
make its way into a serious essay with humor and purpose, not necessarily habit and laziness. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I would appreciate that if it was used creatively, constructively. I think that there is a great opportunity that you are you're inspiring me to share this with my do it my college bound students that sneak one into your personal essay for college applications. Hell yes, it's it's the language of our times. Absolutely, our colloquial language is one of the best ways to express yourself. One of the easiest ways to express yourself, and I think that there's a lot of emphasis put on making it more difficult to express yourself. Use the words you know, man. <laughs> sure. And if, and if that's an emoticon, then so be it. What are the kids reading? What do I assign them to read? Or? I know. Like, there's this <laughs> stuff, like you said, Lord of the Flies. Like, that's, yeah. but that's like part of the curriculum. But I imagine they, they have to do personal reading and report book reports or whatever. That has really lessened over the years. It, it's seemingly becoming the hipster thing for a kid to carry an actual physical book as strange as that sounds it's totally analog yeah yeah uh literally our entire curriculum is through the students chromebooks and google Uh, classroom so i'm sharing pdfs during downtime most of my kids will be on their phone so the one or two students who carry an actual physical book is is really cool to see what are the kids reading I don't know if I just have a certain stripe of kid, but my students who actively read for pleasure really still love Stephen King. Ah. So he is still very popular. There are books that, and I'm definitely a few years out of step with these, but my students will come to me and recommend a book or a series that they've loved. So for a long time, Perks of Being a Wallflower was... Oh, right. I saw that movie. I didn't even know it was a book. I actually think I think the film was directed by the book's author. Oh, cool. Um, if I remember him. correctly. Or her. Um, Perks of Being a Wallflower certainly was quote-unquote required reading for the quiet kids for many years. You know, and kids are still excited by, very strangely, these dystopian trilogies that everyone seems to want to produce, like The Hunger Games. Oh, um, right, right. There's, there's just so many series. Of, there's a series called Divergent and oh there are movies about that too right the Maze Runner yes so these dystopian young adult trilogies then get turned into movies and apparently only only the most attractive survive in the future <laughs> uh, in the future only Jennifer Lawrence will be there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes god help you if, if you're a character <laughs> actor you're you're relegated to the announcer role I you guess. are not beautiful <laughs> Yeah. You deserve to die. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. She's a good actress too, though. I mean, she is a wonderful actress, <laughs> and and it's interesting you're saying that. My kids should be reading Lord of the Flies, and we were playing with the idea of offering alternatives. So I know our teachers from when we were in high school would would be potentially upset to hear looking at some more modern choices and the hunger games is one of the novels that we can choose from are they good books they are well written i think for the idea of engaging interest they're far more successful i don't want anyone to revoke my license by saying this but 
If you are not an educator and you go back and reread Lord of the Flies, it's horrifying in its implications. But that being said, almost every chapter begins with a long, pages long look at the palm fronds and the foliage. And then you're not shocked to learn that William Golding had a love of botany. So the implications of, you know, spoiler alert, sorry, everybody, Roger purposely killing Piggy with that boulder, the implications and the symbolic moment that that Golding achieves there is is beautiful, like chef kiss moment for an English teacher and for really engaged students. But to read the first four chapters of that with no real payoff, it's hard. That's a tough one for a lot of kids. Now, um, I, I hear you. You know, that's that's why I never read the Lord of the Rings because I started reading it and I was just like, dude, I can't read about mountains anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. mountains. Yeah. You know, speaking of my former students being in touch with me, someone sent me a screenshot of a meme where it says, describe a tree using the fewest words possible. And Tolkien responds, no. <laughs> and and <laughs> that really is the Lord of the Rings, the trees and the mountains. My goodness. It's like, insane. It is. But, I, you know, I'm just glad they have the movies. <laughs> My students have asked me, how many times have you read Frankenstein? And the answer is, I don't know. And they say, do you really love it as much as you tell us you love it? And the answer, shockingly, is yes. <laughs> I, I read Frankenstein with my students, at least I would guess, twice a year, because I usually get the same course twice in the same semester. And I will still read it on my own. Nice. That is my drop dead favorite book to teach. And yet I'm not so absorbed in my love for it that I can't look out at my students and say, okay, we need to take a brain break. You've, you've read enough of Victor's self-aggrandizing. Right, right, right. Um, not every book's a tough sell. I mean, I, I don't teach juniors, but my friends tell me that they love Gatsby. Yeah, I think everybody loves Gatsby, right? It it seems that way. It it seems that way, or at least they, they're trying to make their teachers feel good by telling them they love it. Junior year literature is really seemingly very popular, so potentially Catcher in the Rye. Kids oh, love yeah. that. Why wouldn't you? It's classic. <laughs> yeah. Personally, my favorite play, and I, and I don't get to teach it, and it's heartbreaking to me, my favorite thing that I don't get to teach is The Crucible. Oh, nice. Um, love that play. Yeah, it's a um, good one. And so junior year is a very exciting year in literature, but not every book is an easy sell. No, I suppose not. I'm going to tell you right now, don't don't tell anybody, but I, I didn't read a lot of the books we were supposed to read when I was in, in high school, because believe it or not, you can get away with a lot. You know, uh, I've had a few brave souls admit that to me after our, after our class was over. In fact, I, I can't say his first name because he's a colleague, but... <laughs> he's he's one of those former students who became a teacher and he he's teaches, teaching it and he's never even read it <laughs> he teaches two doors down from me and he told me he's like i have to admit when we read heart of darkness he's like i didn't even crack the book <laughs> i never read that either i didn't even know that was part of a curriculum but from what i understand it's quite a difficult book to get through it's very short yeah uh, it's a very short but it's read, like dense but right it is exactly exactly that it is it's tough it's a hard climb and I, that was for an honors level course i taught when i when i first got to my current school that was in the curriculum and i was personally 
excited because I, I hadn't read it myself. So I read it before I taught it, which <laughs> if there are any te- anybody thinking of becoming a teacher, that's the best advice I can give you. Uh, read it before you try to teach it. Yeah. Um, Don't stay one chapter ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. Uh, when I first started teaching, people say that. As long as you're a chapter ahead, I'm like, no, no. You're going to die because <laughs> uh, you will get that one eager student who's like, I finished it. Can we talk oh. about the end? Uh, <laughs> and don't spoil it for the rest. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I was excited about Heart of Darkness and my students, they struggled with that. And this, this young man who is now my colleague told me, he's like, I didn't read it and I'm going to probably guess most of the class didn't. But they all watched Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the talk of Napalm. Maybe I, I, miss, <laughs> I miss that page. <laughs> it made me wonder. I'm like, then, boy, Spark Notes and, and Cliff's Notes are doing a bang-up job because you all wrote an essay on this. So right. There are some things that are hard sells. And I, I think that that's tough a teacher's perspective, certainly, because the kids aren't engaged, it's it's a nightmare. I'm going to use a double negative purposely. I never don't think about what it's like to be on the student side, where if my teacher's telling me we're doing this for 90 minutes a day or 45 minutes if I split the class between reading and writing, I have to do this for three weeks? My God, I'm just going to disconnect now. Right. So, yeah, you know, we, we try to sell it different ways, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to read the book, I guess. Sometimes you just got to read the book. What about film criticism? How's that going? Well, it's it's something I do in my mind that I wish I could force my hands to type out. I have not kept up with my film criticism blog, and I am upset that I don't follow through on that. But I'm giving myself a pass because this school year has been extremely difficult i i'll accept that i'll accept that but i i have to say that i was disappointed when i went looking for it today to see what was up there and uh the domain is expired you know the domain is expired i started a new blog which is free and and that's a great word i did start a new blog and my plan is to like a garden hose that you've pinched off <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm planning on accumulating a bunch of reviews and then unleashing them. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> unleashing them on the four people that that actually <laughs> my my poor wife included <laughs> babe babe i did the mad max one again oh good <laughs> awesome <laughs> ah bless her she's she feigns interest like a champion. Yeah. I knew that you weren't doing it because I <laughs> What a trap. <laughs> this is gotcha journalism. <laughs> it's kind of a theme. The past couple of people I talked to, they, uh, they haven't been able to find time to do a lot of the things that they, they want to do. And I, I think that that's a recurring theme in middle-aged guy life. COVID life, maybe? I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to say. I'm too tired for my for my hobbies, or I'm so burned out I can't do the things I genuinely am passionate about. Until probably three years ago, I didn't have a hobby in my life. I just, guys our age, the, the kooky ones are doing frisbee golf, and the straight-laced ones are doing actual golf. My friends are joining beer league softball teams, and I just didn't do any of that stuff i just was content to be at home and watch scary movies and listen to music and blah 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 you know then i got 
again, well, to tie it back to the reason <laughs> you're speaking to me today, a former student reached out to me knowing my love of the band Tool, and I was the reason he first heard them, and he's a huge fan. He reached out to me. He sent me an autographed poster from a concert he attended, and I wrote back to him, and I'm like, they sell posters at the concert? He's like, yeah, man, they got these pretty famous artists lined up to do posters for them. Well, that was a blessing and a curse because then that began this like <laughs> collecting. Yes, this very expensive hobby of collecting tool gig posters that at the concert sell for $60, $70. Um, and in collectors groups will cost you several hundreds of dollars. Yeah, so, man, they're additioned. <laughs> yes, exactly that. And then that spun off into what are called alternative movie posters. And I started collecting those. And during COVID, being forced to be at home so much, the collection and hobby got A, very expensive, and B, we just ran into a space issue because there's, there's only so many walls. Weirdly, my wife does not want a... Texas Chainsaw Massacre poster hanging over our dining room table. No, you should put it in the bedroom. <laughs> really set the mood. I, I got a little manic. I'm not I'm not afraid to admit I got a little manic there for a while. Like, let me shut off my terrible fears of not being able to effectively teach from home and my, my kid getting sick and my wife getting sick. Let me shut those off and just hardcore collect posters. <laughs> You know, you can you could thin the flock out a little bit if the resale value for these things is actually that good. You could just sell some of the ones that you aren't feeling as much. I have made it a point to only really hold on to the ones that I really genuinely like. So, comparatively speaking, with some some of the people I've talked to in these groups, I have a minuscule collection. Okay. There are people who genuinely have a poster from every show of the 2019 to 2020, and now. 21 to 22 tour. I, I sleep a little better at night knowing that's not me, but. Well, there's still time. <laughs> I can still fall into that trap, yes. As both a father of a teenaged high school student and a high school teacher, does that give you uh, a window into the, the soul of the student? Sometimes, yes. Uh, sometimes I get some really great insight from my son. Other times, I remind myself that there are so many different personalities. You know, these kids are still trying to figure out who they are themselves. And then to put 28 of them into a classroom, we genuinely, until the kid opens up to us, we we're genuinely kind of in the dark about what they're going through in their personal lives. As closely as I work with a lot of these kids, you do learn about them. And... There are kids who have faced things that as a 46-year-old, I don't know that I would handle it as well as they have. And then there are kids who seemingly have a life that other kids would envy, and yet there is a lot of pressure put on them. Genuinely, I've had a kid sit with me. She asked her teacher if she could come talk to me. My, my principal came by, and this kid's sitting at my desk just bawling because she can't make a decision about where she wants to go to college. Yeah, and, she shouldn't have to make that decision. Well, you know, that's... that's It's the system, man. <laughs> Some people dream of that as yeah, their worst problem. Yeah. But I said, you know, this kid, her heart is being pulled towards one way. 
her parents are pulling her and other parents are more than likely paying for the whole thing. Of course, there's petty stuff between kids, but that goes away quickly, usually. I don't mean to minimize that, but it's the deeper stuff that when it's brought to your attention, it reminds you that you're not just there to say, this is how to write a haiku, or <laughs> this is what Shakespeare meant when he said that his lines will live forever. It's not really about the woman, it's about his poetry. That other facet of what's expected of teachers suddenly comes into this jarring reality. <laughs> it's in your face. This kid is reaching out for help. It is terrifying. It comes with the territory of being someone that kids will open up to, you know? Yeah, I do. I think that's great. I'm glad that there are people who would, who, who take that on. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're, you're welcome. Thank you for shaping the young minds and thanks for talking to me. And, um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Something that we need to know? No pressure. Something you need to know. If you haven't read Frankenstein, please do. And uh, if you have read Frankenstein, then this is for you. Information is knowing that Frankenstein is not the monster, but knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein is the monster. That's a good place to end. I'm going to say thank you again, even though I think I probably already said it. I can edit it out. It'll be fine. That's the magic of podcasts. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, thank you. <laughs> that was Michael. Not the first educator I've had on the show, but definitely the first teacher of the year. It was insightful to get a peek behind the high school curtain. It's great to hear that everyone is adapting. Also, I liked hearing about how they had to rewrite the book on how to teach for home learning. I think this can go either way, but I know that they did a pretty good job at the school my kids go to, and it sounds like they nailed it at Michael's school as well course, I've heard anecdotes about it going not so well, but for the most part, I'm impressed how students and teachers and, and even parents rose to the occasion to make it work. This stuff is a big deal, and as much as I like to complain about teachers in schools, I know that everyone involved is human and they're trying to keep it together just like the rest of humanity. I appreciate the work that y'all do. Thank you very much. And, and thanks to Michael for indulging me. We talked for a really long time. It was great catching up. We hadn't actually spoken since the mid-90s, and I had to cut out a lot of stuff, including a long rant about comic book movies, but maybe I'll release it as a bonus for any nerds who want to listen. Also, thanks to you, dear listeners. Thanks for sticking around to the end. I appreciate your time and attention. If you have the inclination, I'd appreciate it if you could recommend Feel Free to Deviate to anyone who you think might enjoy it. That would be super fantastic, but as always, you don't owe me anything. I'm just glad you're here. Check me out on Facebook and Instagram at Feel Free to Deviate. If you need audio editing or post processing, go to boomkas.com, B O O M K A A S.com and ask for Ed. Tell him the gym sent you. The next episode of Feel Free to Deviate will feature Todd Hennig. He's a great drummer and he's currently working for a company that makes nursing instruction materials. Check it out in two weeks. Until then, be excellent to each other. 